If you've ever had questions about the condition of homelessness, I think there's a strong possibility that I've asked it in this interview. What would you say to someone who experiences some fear around those who experience homelessness? Or how can we help and not harm? What can I, as a busy working mom, do to engage in this type of justice? And just so much more. As kingdom builders, we are called to care for the poor and vulnerable, and it is time to lean into this discomfort and to find your place in this world of justice. Let's go. Welcome to episode number 39 of the Faith School Podcast. This podcast is for women of faith who are ready to put their faith into action in every area of their life and to claim the name of Kingdom Builder. This practical podcast is not just a list of how-tos, but is here to prompt you to take action and adopt the kingdom way of life surrender to a holy God. My name is Leah, and I'm joining you in the messy middle of a surrendered faith. Come on in, take a seat. Class is now in session. those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. And to my old faithfuls, welcome back. When we started this podcast, we knew that we wanted to tackle some really tough topics, things that often really honestly make us uncomfortable. And for some of you, that is going to be the work and the world of justice. And I am going to encourage you right here that as Christ followers, we are called into the work of justice through the scriptures, whether it be through our involvement or giving what we have to the poor and vulnerable. We're here to pray for them and engage with them. And it is our duty as kingdom builders and kingdom dwellers to lean in to the discomfort and really discover our unique role in this space. My guest today does honestly a really beautiful job of inviting us in and allowing us to take the steps that we personally are called to take. She's warm, kind, and honestly, she was just such a delight. She is a street chaplain, activist, and nonprofit leader who has worked for over a decade on the front lines of social justice movements. She's the co-founder of Open Table Nashville, a nationally acclaimed interfaith homeless outreach nonprofit. Please welcome Lindsay Krinks. If you want more information about Lindsay or any of the resources we mentioned, make sure that you head to the show notes throughout the episode to check it all out. But before we go into the show with Lindsay... In two weeks, we have our one year birthday coming up and we want to hear from you. If you have a story to share of what God has been doing in your life through faith school this year, I would love to hear your stories and maybe even play a few on our birthday show. Click on over through the birthday message link and leave us a 90 second voicemail about what God has been teaching you through one of our guests. These testimonies are really encouraging to us and they just help us to keep going and pursuing this ministry. So we cannot wait to hear what you have to share about what God has been doing through the show. All right, let's head into the show with Lindsay Cranks. All right. Well, welcome, Lindsay, to Faith School Podcast. I'm so honored that you're here with us today. And um, I would love if we would just kind of start the interview with what are some of your roles right now and where are you recording from? Yeah, it's so good to be with y'all today. I, um, you know, I have a few hats that I wear right now. Um, I always have a few hats that I wear, but (laughs) right now those hats are, um, I do street chaplaincy in Nashville. Um, I, and I can talk a little bit about that if you're interested, but, um, 
I also do um, education and advocacy with a homeless outreach nonprofit here that I helped to co-found called mm-hmm. Open Table Nashville. And that means that I speak to groups. Um, we do, we try to make, um, give a lot of people tools wherever they are um, mm-hmm. to feel like they can engage more on issues of homelessness and justice. And we also advocate. So that means we are trying to change a system that allows for so much human suffering and poverty. Mm. Um, and the newest hat I've put on, I will say one more thing is that I'm a new mom and I have a teething eight month old so, <laughs> who did not sleep last night very well at all. So um, that's the newest hat that I'm wearing along with the, you know, writing a book thing that, yeah. that is another hat too, I guess. <laughs> too many hats, oh, too many hats. <laughs> so many of us are wearing a lot of hats these days. That's exactly right. All right. So I, I love that. I think that all of us can... Uh, a lot of the women that are listening right now can definitely relate to <laughs> just trying to be in many places at once. Um, I also love that you love justice. And so I would love if you could share with us kind of where that love came from and and specifically when it comes to serving our homeless population. Yeah, so I grew up in a small church in, um, in South Carolina, which is in Southern U.S. And Early on, I was taught the love of God, right? I really fell in love with scripture. I fell in love with the uh, with people of faith and God. And I learned to love people like me in that church, right? Mm-hmm. I learned to take casseroles. I learned to to people that are sick. I learned to drop groceries on a porch if a, you know a mom in our church was struggling or whatever. But I also felt a lot of exclusion at the church. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I came to college and really started seeing suffering on a larger scale and then rereading the prophets and the gospel again, that this love just like cracked open in my bones. Mm-hmm. And I was so drawn to um, drawn to people that were hurting Um I, I wanted to be a physical therapist early on. I went to college to have a nice, comfortable life and, and do that work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I did not end up doing that work. But, <laughs> but I was drawn, I, what I realized is I was drawn to healing, you know, mm-hmm. um, drawn to places of healing, even from an earlier age. I just, I wasn't sure what that kind of healing would look like until mm-hmm. I had some experiences um, in Nashville and, and kind of, again, reread, reread the prophets in a, kind of more expansive light, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what were your first kind of steps into that kind of uh, service, that ministry of really serving that population in particular? You know, always um, one of the, your first steps is just being in closer proximity to people, mm-hmm. um, putting yourself out there. So I remember um, in high school and college, um, I started doing service projects. And for a while, you know, the service was very one-sided. It was very much, I am here to help you. Um, I didn't really get to know people's names. I didn't really understand how much they had to offer me and how much I would be transformed by them and how much I had to learn from them. But it started off with just getting involved and getting out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And then it started, um, it was a very slippery slope when I realized that justice was important <laughs> and, and people were, um, were being oppressed by our policies here mm-hmm. in the U.S., right? Why do we not have funding for housing and healthcare mm-hmm. and these basic human rights? Um, why are our people being locked up for sleeping on a park bench, but there's no housing for them, right? Mm-hmm. 
why are um, why are people being arrested for the color of their skin and their social status? And tourists on Broadway are doing whatever they want, <laughs> disorderly mm-hmm. conduct, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they have money and means and they're white. So they're being passed by. Um, you know, these, I, I got involved with um, a homeless organizing group here in Nashville, literally stumbled upon them when I was looking for someone to come speak to our um, our student group about homelessness and poverty. And they came and I tell this story in the book, but they were like, the modern day prophets to me saying, mm-hmm. you know, homelessness, the root cause of homelessness isn't that people are bad or made bad decisions. It's mm-hmm. a lack of affordable housing and living wage. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really opened my eyes. So I got really involved with them. And again, that proximity led to relationships. The relationships led to a deeper kind of love. And that love led to wanting people to have what they need to thrive. Mm-hmm. And that means challenging whatever barriers that are in place of that thriving. Yeah, absolutely. I want to quickly ask, I know that sometimes I just like making sure that we have the right terms uh, <laughs> for this kind of thing. And I've, I've said like the homeless population, is there a better way to say that? Is there a better way to make sure that we're keeping the humanity in the way that we talk about them? Is, is there something better that we could say? Yeah, you know, Anything, there's a lot of different things you can say, but one of the things we always um, say is to try to have person first language, person centered mm-hmm. language. So I like, you know, the homeless community is fine. And when we talk about individuals, we say people experiencing homelessness or friends yeah. on the streets or things like that. Um, we always try to keep the person apart from the condition that often they don't choose for themselves, right? That yeah. is. It's the huge defining thing of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, we really try to focus on the person. So, you know, all of us will um, kind of grow in our language, but I would definitely encourage people whenever you can to keep um, keep focused on the person. Okay. Okay, yeah. great. Thank just you. Just do your best with it. You know, anything yeah. when you when you talk about someone with honor, honoring their life and, um, and who they are, it comes across. So mm-hmm. uh, we can always shift our terms, but yeah. Awesome. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. I have been wondering that. Um, Okay. So I want to go to kind of the beginning of your nonprofit and, um, and why that you thought that it was necessary for the nonprofit, what makes it different? If you could kind of give us a little bit more background on that, that would be great. So we started Open Table Nashville, um, which is an interfaith homeless outreach nonprofit here. Um, after a huge flood in our community. And many of us were working at some of the larger encampments. So a lot of us were working at Tent City, for example, that had over 100 residents, pets, couples, all kinds mm-hmm. of, it was like a small city. And, um, and but when the flood came, of course, the camp was on the river and it completely washed everyone out. Mm-hmm. And the city used that opportunity to say, well, you know, we're going to condemn the land. People can't move back here. It's out of sight, out of mind, problem solved Mm -hmm. for us, right? Mm -hmm. We were already working, this scrappy group of us, of five of us, we're already working in Tent City, already had relationships with all the people there. And we made a very dangerous promise. And we said to our friends from Tent City, the city has abandoned you, but we will not. We will Mm -hmm. walk alongside you. And we have no idea what that's going to look like. We may have to sleep at city hall together and get arrested. We don't know, but Mm -hmm. we'll figure it out. We're going to like, we're going to figure this out and we're going to be with you. And 11 years later, that promise still rings true. We started a nonprofit because there was a gap in services in Nashville. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of the homeless outreach organizations were doing services, but they couldn't mobilize the faith community. They weren't doing education about issues of homelessness and poverty and housing. They, um, they couldn't go upstream to say, why in the, one of the richest nations in the world do we have massive homelessness? Mm-hmm. What do we need to change about this? We started Open Table um, not with the goal of making a shiny, like awesome nonprofit, but it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, looks good in magazines or something. <laughs> we are very much boots on the ground, scrappy. Um, we started the nonprofit to try to work ourselves out of a job eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and ending homelessness, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an idealist, but I'm real enough to know it's not going to happen in my lifetime, most likely. Mm-hmm. But that's what we're moving toward. That's what we believe is possible to create a society where everyone has access to dignified housing. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe that's possible. So we're different because we we're willing to stand beside people, not just in service, but in solidarity mm-hmm. um, to go upstream with them um, to have relationships of mutuality. So we have a member from our, on our board right now, who's from tent city, you know, oh, cool. Um, and we have members in leadership who are, um, who have experienced homelessness. That's really important to us. Yeah. Oh, it's so important to be listening to, you know, quote unquote, like survivors or people mm-hmm. that have really experienced it so that you can get the best insight. I remember doing an interview last year with her name is Anna Patak and she was a survivor of an, an overcomer of human trafficking and just how much she emphasized that importance of believing survivors and and walking alongside them and getting their expertise and yeah that's just it's so so powerful that's awesome um i love the title of your book with praying with our feet i think that's such a a powerful image and so i would love to know where did that book title come from and what does that mean to you personally I am really excited about the book title too. It, it, I did not come up with it. <laughs> As it often happens, I think. Yeah. Yes. Um, the first time I heard that phrase, um, I was a college student studying about the civil rights movement here. And I came across this mystic named Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who was a scholar of the Hebrew prophet. And he actually, he is the one who I first came across saying something like this. Um, But just to tell you a little bit more about him, he had to flee Poland, um, Nazi-occupied Europe, Mm. um, as a Jew um, during the Holocaust. And after many of his family members were killed, he eventually came over to the States and landed in New York and realized that, you know, the injustice was happening here too. It would just look different, right? It was Jim Crow South, segregation, things like that. Mm-hmm. And when I came across this idea of praying with our feet, it was from a quote from Heschel, who was marching arm in arm with Martin Luther King in Alabama um, in 65. And he wrote about the experience of marching with King for civil rights and said, I felt as if my legs, my feet were praying. Mm-hmm. Um, my legs were uttering songs, even without prayer, our feet were worshiping, you know, our bodies were worshiping. And that's what I've experienced working for justice in our community. Mm -hmm. I've been involved in social movements, in the front line of social movements, fighting for economic justice, racial justice, housing rights. And when I'm out on the streets with people, yes, it's messy. um, Yes, it's not perfect. But it is, we are a collective moving forward, um, pushing for change. And the chants we sing are holy. Our feet 
like Mm. burn holes in the pavement. Like it is a holy thing. Mm -hmm. It is a sacred thing to try to fight for the image of God and other human beings and for for them to have what they need. And, you know, I realized it's an important idea concept to me because I, you know, growing up, I was taught that my faith was a deeply personal matter and it was all about private salvation. Mm. But again, growing and coming to college to a different city, to Nashville, um, reading the prophets and the gospel, realizing that God was calling me to be public in my faith, to have a faith that wasn't just private, but was social um, and called me into the public sphere to mm-hmm. um, to really try to bring about the kingdom. And I say kingdom intentionally, kingdom of God on earth mm-hmm. as it is in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that means fighting for better conditions with people. Yeah. So praying with our feet is a way to really say, in a, in a time of massive injustice, of homelessness, mass incarceration, so many other things, um, are Christians just called to pray by ourselves and our families and our faith communities? Mm-hmm. Or are we called to get our hands dirty yeah. in a struggle for a better world? And our feet too, right? <laughs> yes. So yes. I think we're called into something and all of us have to figure out what that will look like for us. That's exactly right. I I love like, I use the phrase like faith in action or putting your faith into action all the time. And that's really the heart behind what we're doing is wanting to equip women so that they can walk this thing out. And I think that's why I was so, um, so struck by the, the, the book title, by the book itself, because yeah, like I would love to see the faith community really, you know, having that personal relationship with with Jesus, but, uh, you know, allowing that to kind of propel them into the work that he has called us to do. So I love that. I think that's so powerful and, and so needed that that message is so needed in our, in our church world. Mm-hmm. Um, you use the word justice a few times. And I think sometimes when we think of the word justice, we think of in a, you know, a legal setting or, you know, something to that effect, but could you really give us a picture of what the word justice really means um, to you, but how should we be looking at the word justice? My favorite definition of justice comes from theologian Cornell West. And he said, justice is what love looks like in public. Mm. And I love that because it's so simple, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we, if we could channel the love we feel for the people that are closest to us, to people that we don't know who look different from us, if mm-hmm. we could really want the best for them. We could want conditions in which all people could thrive in our society, mm-hmm. not just survive, which is what is happening. Uh, you know, our people can't even survive. I'm burying people as a street chaplain in their mm-hmm. 20s and their 30s and their 40s. I buried a 66-year-old last week who I'd known for over 10 years, oh. and he was the oldest person I have buried in a couple years, maybe. Wow. Um, and we do funerals a lot. So again, what, what would love look like in public? What would creating a society in which all people can thrive, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And when you get to it, there are material implications, meaning that, you know, our housing systems have to look different. Our healthcare systems have to look different. Mm-hmm. People can't make it on minimum wage in the States. That's seven twenty-five in Tennessee an hour, $7.25 an oh hour. Oh my goodness, wow. And see you can't make it the rent's too high mm-hmm. um the cost of living's too high so again justice is what love looks like in public and on an interpersonal level it's being in right relationship with people mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, being in with people um, where there's respect, there's dignity, there's equity, things like that. Yeah. I love that definition. That is so good. I'm going to have to like post that on my wall or something oh, like that. I love we that. Did, we did Valentine's cards that had justices what love looks like in public um, on it for oh, Valentine's Day. So I it love is, that. it's a very easy concept. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's not, I mean, it shouldn't be dangerous, right? It, mm -hmm. it should be something that is a given. <laughs> we yeah. shouldn't have to fight for these things. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I love that so much. I think that sometimes people are a little hesitant to kind of go all in on justice because it can be something that we can idolize, you know, instead of really, you know, putting Jesus on the throne, we put justice on the throne. And I think that is a little bit of hesitancy for some people um, that I have spoken to. And I would love to, for you to kind of give us a picture of what it would look like for us as believers, as Christian women, what would it look like to really pursue justice because we are called to it. I mean, that is all over scripture. <laughs> we cannot <laughs> deny that <laughs> um, without idolizing justice. You know, that's a really interesting question. I can't separate Jesus from justice myself. And, mm -hmm. and I'll say more about that. I truly believe, you know, so many of us, and I think I was taught this, that we believe that Jesus came to bring the church, right? Mm -hmm. But I really believe the more I studied scripture, the more I was like, no, Jesus came to reveal and bring about um, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God in our midst and mm -hmm. calls us to bring it about on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. If Jesus is on the throne, then justice is on earth as it is in heaven. And mm -hmm. we are about that work. We are about yeah. his work. We are uh, his hands and feet here. Mm -hmm. I'll also say this, you know, there's a really good example. Um, one of my heroes is Archbishop Oscar Romero from El, Sal El Salvador. Some of you might be familiar with him, but if you're not, um, he was the Archbishop in El Salvador in the late 70s in a terrible time um, of civil strife of, you know, people were being disappeared, the government and mm. the wealthy were um, really taking land from peasants and disappearing them if they talked back. It was a really hard time. And Romero came in to be the archbishop because he was a safe choice. None of the religious leaders thought he would rock the boat. Mm -hmm. But when he started hearing about the peasants, the, their stories, their loss, their suffering, the injustice, when he started seeing his fellow priests be assassinated for standing with the poor, um, he started doing the work of justice. And he would always say, people are saying, you know, I'm a socialist or a communist or whatever, but it's not true. I'm a Christian and I believe in defending the image of God in the poor mm -hmm. and my fellow brothers, sisters, and siblings. Um, so... I do think that for Christians, um, you know, we're called to this very real deep faith that does see God's image in everybody. And that, if that doesn't radicalize us to participate in works of love and mercy and justice in the world, I don't know what will. Um, yeah. When we see God's image being taken advantage of or crushed, um, how can we respond? That is a very, very powerful image. I, yeah, I'm going to have to like sit in that, I think a little bit. I really, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. It should really move us. It should really move mm -hmm. us to, man, when we, and when we know how much God loves us, just, it, 
it extends, right? It's not, it's not just a personal thing. I love that. All right. I want to kind of hop back into talking about people experiencing homelessness. I would love us for, for you to educate us a little bit because I think there's a lot of misconceptions and even some, you know, I like to be really transparent on here, even some concerns I personally have had or fears that I personally have had. I think a lot of other people will be able to relate. So I, first off, just what are some of the misconceptions that you commonly run across? I was taught um, growing up that homelessness was an individual issue, right? People are on the streets because they've done something wrong because, you know, because they're, they've made bad decisions or whatever. But one of the things that's really important to think about when we think about homelessness is to not just focus on the tree, but to see the broader forest. Mm -hmm. Community psychologists um, that I studied in grad school later on um, would say, you can't understand a baseball game by just looking at the second baseman, right? You have to understand the larger game of what's going on. Yeah. So whereas people do make decisions potentially that might contribute to them um, falling into a bad place. All of us make bad decisions all the time, every yeah. day. Yeah. But, you know, like I can't tell you the bad decisions that so many of, like I have had, my family has had, my friends have had, but we have resources to clean mm-hmm. those up or deal with those, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll also say that no decisions happen in a vacuum. Yeah. Um, so there are broader things at play. I heard a quote once from another social services provider, and she said, you know, when you ask someone on the streets why they're on the streets, most of them are not going to tell you. It's because of decades of federal divestment and affordable housing. Yeah. It's because the wages aren't keeping up with inflation. It's it, Nobody's going to say that. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, well, I did this, I did that. Um you know, and a lot of us fall into the trap of thinking, well, it's all about mental health issues. It's all about substance abuse. It's all about people are lazy. Those are the three big stereotypes that we mm-hmm. see. But working on the streets for the last 14 years has taught me that there's a lot um, of nuance in all of those things. Mm-hmm. People can't make it. We have people in our tent cities building Nashville. I see their hard hats and their work vests hanging up on a tree, you know, by their tent. Wow. They're building our city, but they can't live in it because they can't afford it because Nashville is gentrifying. Mm. I have people that are struggling with mental health and substance abuse, but because the state of Tennessee has kept out the Affordable Care Act money for the poor, they don't have health insurance. Mm. So they can't get into rehabs um, because they're on waiting lists when they Mm. need rehab. Like I had a 28 year old overdose um, in November who's, who was trying, he was telling hospitals he was suicidal, trying to just trying to say, get me in. I need detox. Mm. I need rehab, but no one would take him because he didn't have insurance. Um, And also think about all the substance abuse and mental health issues that also exist in housing. Mm-hmm. what's the difference? You know, the difference is that a lot of us have resources to get the counseling we need to get the therapy. We have the community support, we have health insurance. Um, so again, not everyone on the streets experiences these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people that do are at a disadvantage because they don't have the resources they need to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another reason why we fight for health insurance here for healthcare, affordable healthcare. I'll also say that 
Um, in the United States, we did not have mass homelessness um, until the 80s. When till really the late seventies, early eighties, when the deinstitutionalization of mental health um, facilities happened, mm-hmm. um, and the defunding of a, of housing on a federal level happened, it was gutted in the eighties. Social services were gutted, and we started funding prisons instead. Mm-hmm. If you look on a systemic level, that is what's happened in the last in my lifetime, the last thirty five, thirty six years in the United States. Yeah. So again. There's bigger issues at play. So I'd encourage people to not have a lens of judgment when we look at people on the streets, but to have a lens of curiosity Mm -hmm. and to not just see the tree, but to see the forest as well, to understand the bigger game that's at play here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, there's definitely is those kind of common ways of thinking like you said with the substance abuse with um all sorts of things like that yeah no that's i i really like that way of thinking of really seeing the broader picture i know that okay i if if i'm walking if i'm walking down the street and i encounter somebody who is experiencing homelessness sometimes like there is a little bit of uncertainty and fear that uh can happen i remember when i would lived in montpellier France for two months and it was on the Mediterranean. And so it's beautiful and warm and it's a beautiful city and it's, it's so like, yeah, it's warm. So there's lots of people that, that kind of flock there. So there was a lot of people that experienced homelessness in that city and all around Southern France. I don't know. I, it was the first time that I think that I was really encountering it. I grew up in a small community. We didn't really, I didn't really, it wasn't very visible if it was there. I think now it is a little bit more in the the city that I I grew up in or the smaller community I grew up in. But I, I felt like I was walking into like an entirely new world and I didn't know what to do with it. I felt a little bit fearful. You know, I remember giving somebody some money and then seeing, you know, I, I, didn't know if they were going to use it in the way that I, you know, wanted them to or whatever. So there, there are like genuine, you know, I guess, I guess concern or, or fear, like natural, maybe not genuine, but natural kind of fear that builds up. So what would you say to, to somebody? I think I've come a, a little bit of a ways since then. That was like 10 years ago, but people that do, you know, just have that natural bit of like uncertainty when it comes to that population, what would you say to someone like that? I mean, I'd first say that it's it's very normal to feel that way. Our society has conditioned us. There's a couple things going on, right? Mm-hmm. First of all, our society has conditioned us to associate poverty with criminality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is a really important thing to recognize. Yeah. Um, we also are all creatures that have to think about our survival. So there's these little bits in us that are like, you know, it's important to trust your gut. Sometimes mm-hmm. it is telling you something. It's important to be able to distinguish though, when are the stereotypes at play um, mm-hmm. and and when are we really needing to think about safety? And so I would say, um, you know, also it's just so important to remember the people that are on the streets, everyone on the streets has experienced trauma mm-hmm. and, and we don't, We just have to keep that in mind. We don't know how that's affected them. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's important to, again, be curious and Mm -hmm. non-judgmental, but also real. So one of the things that we, you know, we have groups of all ages at Open Table Nashville, and they ask the exact same question. This is the most common question we ever Mm -hmm. get. And one of the things that we've told people is, 
the most important thing we can do when we encounter someone. It could be, you know, our car is at the median or our car is at the off ramp and there's somebody with a sign or Mm -hmm. we're walking, um, you know, to our car or whatever. Whatever you can do to make eye contact and to affirm the dignity of people and to even just like smile again, if it's safe to do that. I'm not telling you in a dark parking lot. (laughs) But when we're encountering people, how can we affirm the, like, affirm their dignity in every interaction? Um, I have people that sit on medians. I know them and their circumstances. They can make more on the median than they can make in a minimum wage job here. Wow. They sit on a median and they say, Lindsay, like today, somebody poured coffee on me. Another person told me to get a job. Another person yelled slurs at me. Like, we don't understand what people are going through. So just showing some kindness and compassion in the moment is important. And the other thing that's really important is to be prepared. I tell people all the time, the good Samaritan on that road was prepared. Um, He knew how treacherous the road was. Mm. So he carried bandages and oil and wine to bind wounds. He had what he needed to show compassion in the moment. So what kind of things can we put in our bags? Can we put in our cars? You know, when Mm -hmm. I was traveling, I would carry, uh, you know, in a different city, I would carry an extra peanut butter and jelly sandwich with me or whatever. Um, In my car, I have an outreach car, which means it's very messy all the time. (laughs) I once had like smushed mac and cheese across my back seat for like three months. And it is just a wreck. Like it is a wreck all the time. But I, I, I'm able to carry a lot of supplies. So just carrying things like warm socks that you can hand people. Um, we have groups that make little snack bags or little survival kits. In the winter, there's hand warmers, emergency blankets. How can we be prepared to show compassion? Um, and, and, you know, it's fine to give a couple dollars to people. And it's also fine if that's not something comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. We all have to figure out what we can do. And one of the things our church groups and student groups have found that it's really fun to pack survival kits with your kids, um, with your church group, with whatever. Um, we just had a group from a wealthy county nearby um, pack like a hundred snack bags for us, mm. really solid, awesome snack bags um, that now we can carry and, and build trust, use to build trust with people, you know, and get to know people. Yeah. What kind of items would you say would be the most helpful in a, if we were going to pack a little you know, I, I used to make like little blessing bags that I would keep in my car yes, and, and give it. to people when they were on the median. So what kind of things would you like think would be good in uh, something like that? Definitely think seasonally. So if it's winter, think about the hand warmers, the thermal socks, um, the emergency blankets. Those are like the emergency blankets are like your tinfoil, like mylar foil blankets. Okay. Okay. Um, that are really great to keep in the warmth. Um, and you always want to think about water. Um, something to hydrate, um, a protein source. Um, so like something that people can chew, it could be, um, you know, a pop top can of ravioli or like beef stew or something with a spoon in there so they can eat it. Mm. Um, it could be, um, you know, peanut butter crackers, um, or something like that. Mm -hmm. It could be that like kind of tuna mix with crackers that people can put on. Um, so always think about protein, hydration, socks are gold in any season. Everybody always needs clean socks. Um, you can put toiletries, you can put really whatever you have, first aid supplies, if you have some, pack some of those in there, ponchos, mm-hmm. really anything goes. Um, and, you know, if you want to put a dollar or two in there, that's totally fine. It's up mm-hmm. to us to show compassion. It's our responsibility to show compassion. It's someone else's responsibility where they 
where the how yeah. they use that. And we kind of give that over and just, you know. I love that. I love that. Yeah, you still have, they still have the free will to do with Absolutely. it what they want. Yeah. And some of us use our money to get a glass of wine every now and then. Why do you know, yeah. people yeah. are medicating them? We're all medicating ourselves with coffee, with, you know, mm-hmm. it's important to humanize that too. Um, and, and I want to be real about that. So awesome. Okay. I love that. I, uh, I also included for women, I would also put in yes. um, feminine products and, and combs and hair ties and stuff like that. So I don't I know if people are that. looking for just a few more ideas. That's what I through in mind too. So I love it. Little packs of tissues are great too. Um, wet wipes are really, wet wipes are also gold. Okay. Awesome. I love you that. You've got plenty to work with. That's yeah. Two minutes, probably. <laughs> yeah. Pick five. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So I, I love how you said, I was going to ask like, how can you care for someone when you're just kind of walking by, you know, and want to, um, you know, show love, show compassion. And you said, just making making eye contact and giving them a smile. I love that. Um, Is there anything else that we can do where it's really going to be helping them and not harming them? I just know that sometimes when we are trying to help, we can overstep or we can take away their dignity even when we are trying to help. So what are some other ways that we can show love, compassion that we can actually help and not show harm. We can always, you know, it depends on how much time you have in the moment, right? And it's Mm -hmm. important to be real about your limitations in the moment. If Mm -hmm. you, if you, if all you can do in this moment, because you're going to pick up your kids and you're running late or whatever, is just to affirm their dignity and say, I don't have anything today, but I'll look for you next time and try to carry something with me or something. That's okay. Mm -hmm. If you have a little bit more time, ask what they need you know, Mm. instead of saying, well, here's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Be like, well, is there something else you're looking for? Oh, you, your shoes are falling apart and your feet are completely blistered because you've been wearing shoes that don't fit you for five years. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Um, What is it that they are needing help with? The other thing to remember is no one does this work alone, right? We, Mm -hmm. if we try to do, if we try to be everything to everyone um, by ourselves, we're going to burn out. It's overwhelming. So how can we do this in community? How can we bring other people in? How can we get to know people's names mm-hmm. and then be like, well, you know, John, I've gotten to know you. I want you to meet open table. I want you to meet this service provider. How can we broaden their, their kind of circle of support mm-hmm. beyond just us? And that means getting to know your community and, and getting to plug in with the groups that are already on the ground that can mm-hmm. really go that extra mile and help them break the cycles in their own life um, yeah. and that are holding them back. So supporting other, the nonprofits and the groups that are on the ground. I will say that it still continues to be a very prevalent idea that, you know, if you give someone money, um, they're going to use it to hurt themselves. And um, I want to, I just want to say that it really truly is up to you what you do with your resources, but giving alms, you know, and, um, some religious traditions is a practice that they're called to do from God. Mm-hmm. And when we give money, we give over control of how that's used. I remember, you know, in grad school, through grad school, I wasn't getting paid during outreach work. And so I had to do a lot of side hustles and I was babysitting for um, a family. And the dad was like, I never give money because they always use it for drugs and alcohol. And I thought, I thought, I've been in your house now for months and I know your liquor cabinet and I know all the, the wine and beer in your fridge. 
And I know that you are also medicating something. Yeah. Unless we are willing to sit down and spend the time with people um, to really give other options and alternatives, um, then we cannot judge what people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully no one will judge what we are doing, right? And how we're medicating our lives. Um, hopefully we are moving into healing and not having to medicate as much and having healthy coping mechanisms. Unless we're willing to spend the time with folks. I have spent a lot of time on the streets and I know that people drink because they're medicating something. They drink because of the trauma in their past. And if they stop drinking and they're alcoholics, they will get DTs. They will get potentially seizures, very violently ill. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you can die from. So unless they're willing to break the cycle um, and get in detox or rehab, unless those doors are open to them, they have to keep drinking. So again, um, unless we're able to do that deeper healing with people and sit and help them figure out alternatives, mm-hmm. we really can't judge. And we just either have to be okay handing someone money and saying, you can do with this what you need to, because I have $5 and you don't, and I'm giving it to you. Or we think of other things to give. Yeah. We bring the socks. We see if there's food that they need. You know, we have the survival kits or blessing bags. We are responsible for showing compassion. That doesn't mean that we are responsible for saying yes to everything people ask of us, but it does mean that we show compassion um, with whatever we can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's very wise. Just affirming people's free will, but also I love that you run, unless you're getting to the heart of people. I mean, it's very, it's not really up to us to, ju- to, to judge necessarily. And even even through bad choices, we still are called to love them, period. Yes. So, Yeah, there's uh, one of my favorite people, Dorothy Day, founder of the Catholic Worker Movement. She said, the gospel has forever taken away our ability to judge between the deserving and undeserving poor. Mm-hmm. When you give food to the poor, when you give water, when you visit someone in prison, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've survived, you are doing that to Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ comes to us in the guise of the poor and the guise of the person in prison. And we are called to do the works of mercy, um, mm-hmm. whether or not we believe people deserve them, because that is what God's children need. Yeah. And absolutely. that mercy and compassion are transformative. Relationships heal people. Mm-hmm. They do. Mm-hmm. So again, thinking about that and learning people's names, right? Yeah. And then, you know, I have friends who are mothers and um, they've gotten to know, you know, Antonio who sells street papers at the Starbucks, you know, and they pray for him by name at night with their children. Mm. Um, They write people in prison, you know, they, um, when we put out calls to action on social media, they, um, they answer, they write their elected officials with their children and they send out the letters and their children have drawn a picture of a house or whatever because mm-hmm. um, we're fighting for affordable housing. These are things that all of us can do um, and, and that we can involve our children in as well. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, that is one of my questions, which is just mm-hmm. like, what would you ask of kind of the regular everyday, you know, maybe a nine to five kind of woman or <laughs> uh, one who's at home, who is at home busy with her kids. Um, how can we pursue justice and love the poor in the midst of kind of our busy, regular lives? Man, it 
Y'all, the struggle is real. Um, with the teething eight-month-old, I am <laughs> I will probably be learning from any of your listeners because your listeners already figured it out. But um, but what what we've done with parents um in this work is really encouraging them to do projects with their children at home. So whether they're packing the blessing bags or survival kits with their kids for their own cars, mm-hmm. or whether they're gonna give those to a nonprofit that could use them. Um Maybe they're going through their house to figure out all the extra um, things that they don't need anymore, like the extra mm-hmm. toys that the kids can give away to kids that don't have them, the extra, you know, towels and sheets that you're not using for someone that's moving into housing. Mm-hmm. Um, again, praying for people by name and starting to involve um, involve the prayers for justice um, early on in kids' lives. At eight months old, I still take my son to the window every night before bed and we pray for all the people and we name our friends in prison. We name friends on the streets Mm. and I hope that we'll continue to do that as he grows. So he knows that these are our kin. These Mm. are our kin folk who are suffering and struggling. Um, They're not some, you know, disposable person. There are people and, you know, then start taking them when the world opens back up, take them to actions, like march Mm. with your babies, you know, if it's safe to do so. Mm -hmm. Uh, take them to serve with you, um, write your elected officials and have your kids, um, participate, you know, scribbling on the envelope or whatever, drawing hearts or houses or again, whatever. Yeah. What are the needs in your community? Only it's going to look different than it does in Nashville. So figuring out what the needs are, Mm -hmm. where you're being called, um, what groups are get involved with their follow on social media and amplify their message. Um, those are really important things and mm-hmm. anybody can start where they are and take that one next step. Mm-hmm. You do not have to come out and get arrested with me <laughs> when the <laughs> cops are closing one of the camps, you know, you just start where you are and build that proximity and those relationships and and the rest will go from there. Yeah. I love that. And those are just really simple things that we can do. I feel like with some of this stuff, I feel like some people feel like they have to lay everything down <laughs> you know, and I mean, we are called to that to us, you know, as well, but like, we have to kind of step away from everything we know in order to do justice or in order to, to serve in that capacity. But really, I mean, it starts with something really small and not in just a, a I want to make clear too, I think, please hear everybody when I say this, that it's not just to pat yourself on the back either. It's not just for the gold star, please. You know, it's, it is because we love and we have we want to have compassion. So I love that. Um, I want to just on a last kind of note, I know that there may be somebody who personally knows somebody who is a family member or a friend who has gone through um, an experienced homelessness. They maybe are currently, um, or they could be going into, what would you say to the people that know somebody who? is on the verge of going into it or is recovering or, you know, just someone who is to know someone personally who's experiencing homelessness. You know, I have homelessness in my family too. Um, Many of my family members have experienced it. Um, Substance use, mental health issues, homelessness, incarceration. My husband and I lost our home last year in a tornado um, Mm -hmm. when I was five months pregnant. So the displacement, the trauma is real. There are some times that our family members or friends are going through those things and we are the people to help. 
and there are, and we need to open our homes. We need to share our resources. We need to surround them with love and support. We need to advocate for them to get the resources they need. And there are other times that we're not the right people. Um, I have an uncle and none of us can reach him. Mm. I've been able to reach other people's uncles and brothers and sons on the streets, but I can't reach my own uncle. Mm-hmm. It's not my role. It's, it's impossible because of our family dynamics. So in those cases, reach out to other groups that can reach the person. If you can't do it because it's unhealthy for you or there's trauma there, boundaries, um, then that's, I want people to hear it's okay. Um, and that's why other groups like us exist. Support mm-hmm. those groups, reach out to them and try to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, homelessness, more and more people, and I'm sure some of your listeners have experienced displacement and homelessness potentially too. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband and I have experienced displacement twice. And people welcomed us into their home. Mm-hmm. Um, people shared their resources with us after the tornado um, and so many other things. So do what you can and also know what your limits are. Mm-hmm. Um, no one does this work. I do not do this work by myself. I do it with a team and community with other service providers in Nashville. Um, this is work. The work of justice, the work of compassion and mercy is a collective work that calls forth the people not just individuals, like fix-it individuals, right? <laughs> With a fix-it yeah. mentality. It calls forth communities of care that are going to go the long haul um, with yeah. people. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. Community is so, so important. Um, even just for 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 burnout. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah. it is. Yes. Yeah, awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much, Lindsay. This has been all so so helpful and I think encouraging. And I hope people feel like they can start small and see where God leads them on how he's going to grow that mercy, that love and compassion. So thank you so much for all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I have just a couple concluding questions. And one of them is just, if you could give us a piece of homework for us today, and you've given us lots, but what would, what would be that one piece of homework be for our faith school listeners? I've got two, but they're very short. Awesome. Um, The first is to check out the book, Praying With Our Feet. Yes. It is a lovely, immersive, very raw, very intimate portrayal of the last 10 years, last 14 years of working on the streets. Um, Mm -hmm. And it is meant to not tell you about homelessness, but to take you to the camps, to take you to the slums, to take you to the underside of our society. Um, and open up that world so that the compassion in us will bloom and that we can all get in touch with our own calling. It was really fun to write and people are having fun reading it, reading it in a day or like people staying up till 2 a.m. It's oh. it's a fun book. Definitely check it out. The second is to figure out what that one next step is. Mm-hmm. Just one next step doesn't have to be a leap. Um, get to know your community, get to know one person's name, one organization that you can plug in with. Mm -hmm. Um, we all have to crawl before we run, um, and praying with our feet is just putting one foot in front of the other. So take the next step, whatever that is for you. I love that. I love that. All right. And the next question is, are there any resources that you would recommend that you have found helpful in the work that you do? I have just, I have 
bookshelves of resources. <laughs> so I'm not going to, I will say playing with our feet is hopefully a resource and it has a table yes. or it has um, citations in the back with more resources as well. Um, Open Table Nashville, the nonprofit that we have, has a website and we have social media. And that is a really good place for people to kind of start to scroll around and kind of see the work that we're doing and how we're doing it Mm -hmm. and how people can do it similar in different communities. Um, There's also two documentaries I want to name. Both are available online. One is Tent City USA, and it's about the flood in Nashville that I spoke about. Mm -hmm. It's really empowering. It's a great one to watch with your family. There might be a couple words that you might have to watch for, but I don't think there's that much. The second one is St. Cloud Hill. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is about a homeless encampment here that was um, forced to move and how we stood in solidarity with them. Beautifully shot, artistically shot. Mm -hmm. Um, That is for older people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would not say watch that one with your kids. Um, (laughs) Since the USA, um, we watched with um, high schoolers. So you can see if it's um, good enough for your littler ones. But those are some resources. And there's so many more things out there. So many more. So um, yeah. some of the resources will be in people's communities. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I just, I really appreciate what you're doing um, and how you're leading and loving. And I think I would agree that the book is an excellent resource mm-hmm. and I hope that people grab a copy and we'll make sure that we have all of that in the show notes for people. So. Well, thank you, Leah. It was so good to be with you. Wishing all your listeners all the best. Thank you. Lindsay is such a kind presence and and she was able to offer so much practical advice as we seek to love our neighbors and our friends in the street. Please grab a copy of her new book, Praying With Our Feet, through the link in our show notes and make sure you say thank you to Lindsay on social media for coming onto the show. Next episode, we are celebrating our first podcast birthday. It is a fun conversation with my friend, Lauren Alexander, who was the very first guest that I ever had on the show, and we have been friends ever since. And she's going to be asking questions that you guys have submitted, and I am going to be giving you all the juice, all spilling all the tea about what has been happening over here in the last year. Remember that you can leave a birthday message through the link in our show notes, and just letting us know what God has been teaching you through the show over the last year. Like I said earlier, your testimonies mean so much to us and they really encourage us to keep going. So make sure you keep an eye out for all the birthday fun coming your way over the next couple weeks. It's going to be a party. If you want to catch me on the socials, you can find me at at leah.rampel or at faithschoolpod on Instagram or in our Facebook group, Intentional Women of Faith. I am so happy to continue serving you on those platforms. Thank you for spending a little time with us today at Faith School and I-68 Ministries. We are praying that you feel fully surrendered today to the God who made you, loves you, and wants to partner with you. Class is now dismissed. Go out there and build his kingdom. 